Welcome back to another episode of the OPEX podcast. On today's episode, I speak with Chris Duffin from Kabuki Strength. On this episode, Chris discusses his training process leading up to his world record 1,001 pound squat for three repetitions. And Chris also discusses the release of his book, The Eagle and the Dragon. Guys, this was a great conversation with Chris, and I hope you really enjoy the show. Okay, Mr. Christoph, and I really do appreciate you making time to speak with me today. How are you doing? Doing fantastic, man. Well, I guess for everything going on, as it, as it could be. So Yeah, as listen, as Abe Lincoln is quoted as saying, this too shall pass. It so, will. Listen, we're all in it together. Um, I suppose that's one sort of maybe positive aspect from this whole episode we're going through is that it really shows that as a human civilization, we're all in this together. You know, there is no borders or there is no, you know, boundaries really between us at the end of the day. So, I mean, that's kind of one positive aspect. It'll be interesting to see how that goes or how that turns out going forward after this is behind us. Yep. So, Chris, uh, you did a, a pretty crazy stunt there lately. Um, yeah, you, uh, I did. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's dive into that and, and why you want to do that. And even I really want you to talk more about the process because one thing that really came to my mind that I was listening to a podcast you recently done on the Strength Coach podcast with Anthony Renna, just one thing that kept running through my mind was like, like your body, like the, the, the like, they're just like pure savagery you must have to put it through and the, like not even just like physically but mentally like every day going man i have to uh, you know just working through that pro- what was that process like too but tell the listeners like what you've done recently why you wanted to achieve that and talk about the process yeah so well actually this uh this whole thing started four years ago i uh i retired from powerlifting i'd been ranked number one in the world at one thing or another for like a decade and decided I just wanted to do, you know, I've been lifting for, well, at this point, I've been lifting for 32 years now, and uh, I wanted to bring the excitement back into it and put a little more purpose behind what I was doing. And so I decided that I wanted to be the only person in history that's squatted and deadlifted a thousand pounds for reps. So I did the first half three years ago. I set the Guinness World Record for the sumo deadlift. Uh, with a thousand and one pounds and I did it for almost three reps didn't lock out the third one and then I just finished the uh, second half of it uh, a couple weeks ago a few weeks ago now I guess uh, literally two days before we locked down here and uh, that was a thousand pound thousand and one pound squat for three repetitions and so it's uh it's been a long process, four years of work, and you're talking about the, 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 the process for that. Uh, you know, most of that period of time is not super intense stuff. Like, it is intense training, but the last year has been very specific building towards this final, final phase. And the last, like, three to six months is, that's when it gets, like, crazy. Like, there's not a lot else that's really able to move in my life particularly the last three months, because it's, it becomes all encompassing. My brain isn't functioning right. Uh, every single day, I'm focused on hours of work in preparation and recovery. And it's just, I, I, there's not really a way to describe 
uh, how, unless you've been through it, uh, just how brutal that, that, that process is. But just for example, my training. So I'm, I'm a big guy. At the time I did the squat, I was, I weighed in 281 pounds that morning. But by the comparison of the standards of everybody else that can squat or deadlift a thousand pounds, it's not a big group of people. I think six people have done the deadlift and we've got about, about the same, uh, that have done that kind of squat. Right. And they're all 380 pounds to 440 pounds. So I'm a little guy in comparison. So the amount of work that I have to do to get there is substantially more. My ability to stabilize my core, manage my spinal position, stay in perfect position because I don't have the mass, the leverage to really work with that those other people do. So in the last three months, I was squatting somewhere, well, it started in the low 900s and by the end, uh, the last several months, so yeah, probably two, three months-ish, I was squatting between 950 to 980 once a week as my average load for a total of anywhere between six to nine repetitions, not including some of the warm-ups that were still over 900 pounds. So that's, that's just insane if you think about that. Like add that up and we're talking on a monthly basis, that's, you know, six, let's say an average, uh, actually it was about eight reps uh, total per workout, eight reps over a month. You know, we've got essentially 30 repetitions. So in this three month block, I did close to a hundred total reps over 900 pounds. Most of those on the higher side, closer to a thousand pounds. That's just, that's just nutty. The, the, what that puts your body through is just phenomenal. There's just, there's always a, you're on the edge of breakdown, which is a, which is an interesting place to be. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's really a, a very, it's a great place to learn at. I'll tell you that. And uh, so it's, it's the process of recovery starts immediately post session. Like my last squat, I'm, I'm, I'm on the floor getting soft tissue work done. I'm focused on recovery every single day. And every, every, every week, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through the next week. And, uh, and then there's, there's times when things fall apart. And that's a little tiny minor loss of position. And all of a sudden, everything in your body starts locking down and, 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 and shutting up to the point of like, I may spend there's been several times that last couple months where I literally was not able to walk or move like hardly at all. Like, Oh, there's a set of stairs. I can't pick up that package off the floor that got, that got delivered. I can't, I can't function uh, for a good part of the week. And the next thing you know, it's like, there's the session and I'm ready and I got to do it again and not compound anything, anything worse. So it's, <clears throat> It's, uh, it's an interesting process, but for me, I, I mentioned doing it for a purpose. And, you know, the purpose for me is, is really threefold. Uh, the biggest one is showing people through my own actions that, you know, we can accomplish things in this world a lot further than we think is possible. When I set out for this, I didn't even tell, I said, 
I want to squat and deadlift a thousand pounds. People said I was crazy. I didn't tell them I wanted to do it for reps because I knew I would be, I didn't want to hear that much negativity coming in because everybody would say that's impossible. Even, even six, nine months out from my squat, some of my, my closest confidants, my team members didn't think I would be able to do it for reps. You know, that's the, that's the amount of, you know, questioning that happens. So, you know, to overcome that and it is, it, it is a big thing. And so it's really showing people that through discipline and goal setting and just walking the process that you can accomplish phenomenal things, which will tie back to, to my, to my book. Uh, Cause I actually walk through a lot of this process and philosophy in there, but <clears throat> That's a, that's a big component. Another is like to show people they're not as broken as you think you are. I just talked about like on a weekly basis, like having to work through, you know, being in a place that a lot of people would think I need to go to a hospital. I'm done with lifting at least for a year or maybe it, you know, my, you know, done as a whole. And that if you have the knowledge of how to get out of that and work through it, you can do it and you can do it quite rapidly. And the fact that, you know, I have had a number of injuries in my far past. Um, you know, I've been a guy that's broken my back, let's say, uh, you know, disc herniations, things like that, uh, to the point that I was in a walker and had to learn to walk again. And I overcame that and came back to do things that nobody else in this world has done. And right now I'm walking around 100% pain-free and mobile. Actually, I just did a post yesterday, I think on my, uh, on my Instagram, showing doing a full, full quad back, body to ground, arms overhead, uh, and doing near the uh, close to a full split as well. So not, not too shabby for a 280-pound guy that can squat and deadlift 1,000 pounds for reps. So that's my... Those are some of my big drivers there is that the inspiration and showing people what they can accomplish and overcome by focusing on the things that you can control in your life, goal setting and being disciplined to the process. The second piece, showing people that, you know, physically with their body, there's a lot more that you can overcome. You're not as broken as you think that you are. If you create, if you learn the right tools, the process, and, uh, and you can work through these things and not be the guy that I, I used to do that, but my knees, my back, my whatever it is. Um, and the third piece is every one of these events has been tied to charities that I believe in and, and using that platform to promote those charities. So just, uh, you know, to pimp that right now, uh, you can still go to our website and buy shirts for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Foundation. And 100% of proceeds are going towards them. Uh, my business partner, his son just battled um, uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma and is currently in remission, uh, but uh, battled that for a year last year. And so um, anyway, uh, you can also just donate directly if you don't want uh, a, a grand goals shirt. So, um, and that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the, the piece of it. And that's, that's how I picked a thousand, by the way, was just like, one, it's just a number everybody knows and associates with. Like, it was like, well, why didn't you go for a thousand twenty deadlift or a thousand? I'm like, nope. Like, 
once you get over a thousand, the numbers kind of blur for a lot of people. And so uh, I wanted to play on just like, let's, let's hit it for reps and then play off of that, that grand, that grand is like overreaching at anything in life and creating things phenomenal and, and, uh, and a thousand pounds uh, being a grand. So, so it's a little play on words, but I, I, I like it. And uh, um, it does also play a little bit towards my strengths. Pretty much anything that I can move traditionally, I've been able to move for reps. A uh, thousand pound squat. Well, if you watch the video, the first two reps look like I'm going to hit like four reps. Like it's moving clean and easy, but uh, just the, the, the toll that takes on your system with the, the diaphragm having to be able to stabilize this, you know, you know, create the, uh, uh, the pressure and the ability to stabilize that torso and spinal mechanics with that load all the way up there on your back is pretty fatiguing and can wear you out really fast with a thousand pounds. So I uh, barely, even though the first two look phenomenally easy, uh, the third one is an absolute grinder that I barely finished, but I did finish. So, you know, that's a good thing. So that's, uh, that's how I arrived there. Absolutely fantastic stuff. And for all the listeners, everything that Chris mentioned, um, regards to his charity, all those links I'll definitely put in the show notes. Um, Chris, before we get a little more into your journey to the thousand pound deadlift and squat for reps, gotta always put that in there because it's just, it's just insane. As I said to you before we hopped online, it's just like, yeah, squat a thousand, and it's just like for reps. <laughs> it's just, it, it, just every time that you say it, it's like, oh my god, it's insane. Well, it's always uh, there was that other point of doing it for reps too is the fact that you do it for for one, and people was like, oh, was that lockout soft? Was this that? And that's like when I first set out the deadlift, I'm like. I'm not going to tell anybody, but it's going to be for reps. Just a let's leave no question in anybody's <laughs> mind. Like, was that, was that, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> was he fully locked out? Was it slipping from, you know, like now there, there, there's three reps. It's, it's very, it's <laughs> the, funny. It's can't funny. really question it. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because I, I was either an article or in an interview years ago anyway I, i'm very good friends with dan john and i'm sure you know who dan is mm-hmm. um but dan like spoke about he did two rm rep testing with all his athletes and everyone's like why do you do a two rm and he's like to definitely make sure they got a one rm <laughs> you know exactly like, exa- like, you got two we know you got one yeah 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 that kind of <laughs> way so uh before we get a little more into the journey around those achievements i want to ask you about trade-offs like what were the trade-offs you had to make to achieve these just monumental goals because no goal is a free lunch so what i mean mm. by trade-offs is Obviously, there was a trade-off to you physically, mentally, m- mentally, and emotionally. But I'm sure there was trade-offs too with family, social events, kids. Maybe you had to, you know, maybe miss events because you're like, you know, dad's got to recover, dad's got to train. What about business? I mean, even like maybe from an educational standpoint, maybe like you know, I just my 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 focus is so much into my training that I don't even have mental capacity to really focus on even like educational things not saying you mightn't kept up with reading or gone some courses but it might have been down the pecking order in regards to the priority list so just regards to trade-offs chris in the grand thirty thousand square foot view like everything in there like what trade-offs did you have to make because no doubt there were sacrifices 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Nobody's asked me that one yet. And uh, it is obviously the case. And I'm just going to, you know, push some some methodology before getting into the discussion first, which is, I, I really feel a lot of people miss uh, doing the work of understanding what their values are in life, like how they want to live and what they're, what, what they truly want to get out of life or put into life. And uh, these aren't, uh, these are more intrinsic things. They're, they're not like a house, a car, a great career. They're things that have a little more meaning. So for me, it's uh, being able to have a creative outlet, being able to have a sense of accomplishment, uh, uh, being, uh, anyway, I, I've got like seven core ones. I won't walk through them all, but doing that work of like, why do you want the things that you want in life? And answering those questions can really kind of help alleviate some of that. So for me, one of the highest priorities is, 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 is family. So I've got three, three kids, wife, and uh, I, I really made sure that that, was, that stayed as it should be a priority in my life. I miss no events with my, with my kids. Uh, several times a week, you know, watching practices, taking them to practices, making sure I've got my family time every evening. My workouts had to be done by a certain time. So I took part of my train, my work day was my, was my training, my recovery, my prep. Okay. And I made sure I was home. So when I was running late and I wanted to lay down on that floor and get a little bit of work done, or maybe some uh, BFR work post session to stimulate recovery, if I was pushing it late, that got dropped for the day. And I'd have to figure out how to make that up during the week. So more of my sacrifices uh, came with my work. So my ability to, to, to work and stay engaged, like I need to be in a place. So um, I've got essentially four different companies that, uh, that I've founded. And so my involvement in a lot of those is I rely on the people and uh, that, that that uh, I work with. And that really, it comes down to that relationship that we have. And, you know, like my business partner, you know, he understands, he gets it, our employees get it. And it allows me to, to have that space. But obviously, I've got to have be in a position, I've got to have created that environment where I can do that. I, I wouldn't have been able to do this with a normal nine to five job. But absolutely not a chance in hell. Okay. So I was getting, you know, in those final phases, I'd be lucky, you know, to get a couple hours of work in each day. Uh, training day was nothing. And everybody, I couldn't, uh, I didn't want to have other stressors in there. So even if I was at work, uh, which I often was, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't engage and everybody knew that if there was important, like draining conversations or emotionally charged things, it had to wait till the next day. Um, <clears throat> uh, other, uh, other trade-offs like, yeah, physically. Yeah. I, I was not able to, you know, go for a hike or things like that with the kids or the family, obviously. So there's a little like of shifting of things in that process in those final phases. Obviously, we're not talking about the last four years uh, because you understand training. There's different blocks of training and different development that happens during those blocks and the intensity is at different levels. So we're talking about like the last three months, uh, four months in the process where things really start changing. So that happened twice in the last two years. 
one's leading up to the deadlift, one's leading up to the squat, where I've got this period of time that is second to family, that's my highest priority. Um, so I've got other hobbies and projects. I've got like a vehicle I've been building for ages I wanted to finish last year. There was just no, I'm not touching it. I'm not working on it. It's not even, actually that's my, uh, today's the first day as soon as I finish this podcast, I'm uh, today's dedicated to uh, rig building. So I'm out doing that today. Be, uh, I'm a little excited because I haven't touched it for a year. <laughs> it literally stopped about this time last year uh, because climbing in and around and twisting and reaching and all this stuff, uh, not, not pleasant to do when you're on the edge with uh, being able to manage spinal mechanics and joint positions and all those sorts of things. Um, I haven't been able to produce the amount of like educational content and things that I want to be involved with. So I'm really looking forward to that. My body, I got fat on purpose. Um, so I mentioned 280. I'm, I'm already back down to 265 now. Uh, so uh, working on getting, I do not like being uh, super heavy. Uh, so uh, just limits my, my, my ability to function. Uh, so I wasn't sleeping well, uh, uh, you know, snoring and apnea in those final phases, which luckily is already gone. Um, so there's, there's definitely, well, the eating, I'm so, <laughs> the first day after the, uh, the, the, the squat, I didn't eat. I probably had a 500 calorie dinner and that was it uh, because it was the first day in months that I didn't have to eat till I was gagging. Um, cause if I could have gotten over 280, I, I would have, I was shooting for 300 just cause the bigger belly I could have to bounce off of the better. It's going to make it a lot easier. So just a lot of things like that. But the biggest thing is, yeah, my, my, my work environment, uh, being able to be in a position and have people understand that I'm not going to be engaged at the same level. Um, the end consumer, the people that, you know, follow, I'm not producing, the quality of content that's going to be able to help them and really is what my passion, what I want to do in the industry. Um, but at the same time, I'm setting the framework for being able to produce messages around that and show people long-term. Um, you know, so it's, 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 it's part of the process, but it just means I'm not active in certain pieces of it during that period of time. Just before we get into discussing your book that you recently published, um, I'm just interested uh, to hear more about your nutrition because, you know, I suppose because the vast majority of the general population, it's always fat loss. So, you know, when individuals from the general population hear strength athletes talk about it's so hard to gain weight. It's so you know, losing weight is so much easier than gaining weight. I'll tell you this. Like people don't believe this. They're like, Oh, I would, I would love that. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not so, fun at all. Yeah. So that, that's, that's where I wanted to go with this in that, yeah. um, you know, talk us about the nutrition. You kind of touched on your sleep and a bit of your recovery there. Like, again, these are the other sacrifices that, um, you know, that, that people just, don't think about or they don't see because again the end they only see the end product of the whole process which again is when you step up on the platform and, and you, you did the squat for reps but they don't see you know those four years and what went into it and the trade-offs too and 
again, I think that a lot of people are very ignorant to the fact that, you know, sport and health are not similar. They're things. not the same. They're not the same people in my life that are my friends and, you know, acquaintances outside of this world are always really confused. They'll like see me eat yeah. something and they're like, I thought you're healthy. And I'm yeah. like, uh, I'm an athlete and with a goal, yeah, with, a, but, with a specific goal. Yeah. Where's your, Where's your kale salad and and uh, and tuna only uh, meal uh, three times? I'm like, no, no, that's not that's not how it works. That's not <laughs> good. that's not getting you to that 300 mark, and it's not no, certainly, no. certainly not certainly not going to help yeah. you squat squat a thousand. But yeah. yeah, maybe just just tell us about the nutrition. You know, because I because I have been around individuals in the past who have had to put on weight. You know, rugby players. When I worked in America, some American football players. Uh, I remember a good friend of mine. Um, it was so funny. I, I, I hadn't seen him for 18 months and he went to Wake Forest um, between those two occasions. So he had just finished high school. And the next time I saw him, he was playing, he was trying to come on as a walk on at Wake Forest. And he had put on a hundred, over a hundred pounds, like within that Ooh. 18 months. No, no, sorry. He went from 180 to, sorry, not a hundred pounds. He put on 180 to 240, 60, sorry, 60 pounds. Sorry. I'm thinking That's... I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking 180 days in my head or hundred yeah. or um, 180 days, 18 months was the yep. time period. He put on 60 pay. He went from 180 to 240. And I can remember when I saw him at 240, having not seen him for 18 months, you know, obviously I was like, Oh my God. But then being around him for a few days and just watching him like have to eat, it was just agony. Like he, you know, he'd stand at the sink while he drank his, you know, his skimmed milk to get extra calories in. No, I know people say whole milk, but like he was eating a lot of meals and he was just trying to get extra calories in for food. But he would stand at the sink and he, he was just miserable. Do you know what I mean? And I was just like, it's so funny. Like most people find it so hard to lose weight, but they never have seen someone trying to gain weight. It's just as much agony too. Yeah. So talk us through your journey there with keeping the weight on. Because I, I knew exactly yeah. what you meant there on when you said, oh, as soon as the squat was over, it, I basically fast because your body's like, oh my God, I don't have to eat all this food anymore. Yep. So, uh, you know, I do an interesting thing actually before my bulk ups, which is to get super lean. Uh, far down into the single digit body fat, usually I'll drop to somewhere between five to like seven or 8% body fat. And I find that process really to help me put on quality mass when I go back up. So it's a primer. And a lot of people don't do that. You can't just stay on this forever bulk or you're going to deal with a lot more health issues, um, you know, insulin resistance and all sorts of stuff come in to start coming into play. If you just keep on this year over year, right? Not a, not a good thing. So um, about this time last year, yeah, I was sitting at 240 pounds and was magazine cover you know, ready photo shoot actually did some, well, actually my cover for my book was actually not my leanest. So that was actually uh, a couple months prior to that. I got leaner after that. Um, <clears throat> and then started slowly building up with the last, like, again, same time period with training. Um, you know, so starting to ramp at six months and then the last three to four months, really, really heavy trying to push everything that I could on. And so, for me, it's, it's fairly simple, you know, the process it's, it's math, um, but got to keep a minimum level of, of, of protein in, you know, and to make sure that you're supporting, you know, muscle protein synthesis and, and, uh, uh, 
eliminate, limiting the amount of muscle protein breakdown. Um, but pushing the protein on top of that, uh, I found doesn't really work too heavy. You know, going from 300 grams of protein to 500 grams uh, actually suppresses my appetite and I'm not able to, able to put on, because again, I'm looking to put on, there's only so much muscle. I've been training for 30 years. I'm not going to put on 10 pounds of muscle in a year. Uh, it's, it's not going to happen, right? And so I'm looking at going from 240 to attempt to go to 300. I only made it to about 285. Um, that's, not, that's not all muscle, and it just never will be. So, so pushing that protein higher and higher is actually going to limit my total caloric intake um, just by it's harder to digest, and it's just, yeah. So <clears throat> my diet would consist of base level of making sure I get all the essential stuff. So protein, fruits and veggies to make sure we've got, uh, you know, all the fiber and be able to clearance of, uh, you know, liver and things like that, that function off all the, the, the great, uh, great things in your, uh, in your greens. And then on top of that is just whatever I could fit in. And so that comes down to calorie dense foods, which means typically things that fall in the unhealthy category. So I would try to keep it as much as I could as in healthy. So we're talking like if I'm having a protein shake, I may be putting a half cup of olive oil into every one. All right. Too much olive oil, same thing. It'll start suppressing your appetite or maybe give you the shits. Yeah. So it's all a balance of learning what your body tolerates, your GI can manage and, and what works well. That's a really good, the olive oil and the protein shake, a quarter cup usually works uh, pretty well for people. Um, that'll start bumping up your calories really fast and it's, uh, you know, not going to spike insulin levels or do anything like that. So, um, for clean mass, if you're bulking, it's a great way to make a mass gainer, um, that's, uh, not high in the refined carbs. Outside of that, my wife is an amazing cook. So that certainly makes the process easier, but she did a lot of baking and things like that. So, you know, I might have a couple strawberry rhubarb crisp full pies every week. Um, or, uh, or every day. That's what I mean. Like it would take, you know, it was, well, quarter this day, another, oh, there's another quarter for breakfast the next morning with some bacon and, um, and, uh, it'd be pushing all the way to the evening. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I'd have to do. So post training, post work, uh, jump to the THC in the evening, uh, get the appetite up. Uh, also helps with uh, switching the nervous system, uh, making sure we're in that rest and recovery. And so then I would just pile down everything that I could and, uh, you know, finish with a little ice cream on top, just because that's, uh, it's always easy to get some ice cream in there. And I would just sit there and eat anything that I could get my hands on. Um, the more caloric dense, uh, the better. So uh, really really bad, bad food. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to, and you're like, you're not enjoying it. It's like, I'm just eating a brownie because it's easier to get 300 calories in this little square, but it's not like you're enjoying the brownie. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I, I was, oh, I've got to push more in. I got to push more in. I was just, a, I was just about to ask there, was there, like, was there ever a period like in this time frame where you were genuinely hungry or was it always just, I just have to eat because, because I like, I don't want to, but I just have to. 
Yeah, it was pretty much I have like I was if I ever got hungry, I failed. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm sure it happened. And it was because I was not on top of it. And I was like, this is not what I like. I've got to run somewhere and uh, and get something to to eat. So. And Chris, were you keeping track of um, any biomarkers? Were you going to see the doctor just to, to check the bloods just to make sure nothing was going too crazy? Yeah, I've uh, I, I do that uh, frequently uh, through God. I've probably been doing that for 15 plus years. Uh, where I, I get blood work done uh, every couple months. Very good. Uh, and this really helps me refine my diet as well as my supplementation and seeing uh, the issues. And um, so, yeah, uh, in this process, my insulin resistance and blood glucose levels were certainly starting to climb. Um, there was a few other things. Uh, I just had blood work done last, uh, last week and met with my doctor on Monday. Uh, via call, of course, because that's how we do things now. Yeah. And uh, everything is already uh, already returned. Because again, I've already, I, I, I dumped 15 pounds like in the first two weeks. So yeah. and uh, immediately a lot of those issues all dissipated that I, that, I, that I had. So absolutely great to see. Liver enzymes will start climbing when you're pushing food like that. Yeah. Like, again, everything's all back in control. Uh, I wasn't expecting that to happen this fast. But I think the my prep period, I, I got really lean and I stayed lean for a lot longer this, like in that, like, I think I was about 7% body fat this time, uh, maybe 6% in the, in the final stages. And I stayed there for about three months. Typically in the past, I've done that and then immediately turned around because uh, of doing it for a photo shoot or something like that, where this time it was really to prep to try to get the most quality mass that I could. Um, but as a whole, actually, I look pretty good. Like my videos, it looks like my stomach is like ginormous and spilling over. But if you go to my Instagram and look at 280 pounds, uh, if you just had a picture of me standing, I still had visible abs and there's veins on my abdominals in different areas. Uh, so it's, well, a lot of it means that I have the worst type of body fat d developing the, uh, in that process, right? <laughs> Was just <laughs> the visceral, the visceral fat. Uh, but as a whole, uh, it was, uh, it was the best comp body composition I've ever had at sitting at 270 plus. Like I was really, really pleased with it. So the process actually worked really well for me. Um, and, uh, yeah. And that's again, not typical what you see with a strength athlete doing these very lean phases. Cause it's like, I don't want to do that. Um, but I, I take that time. I, obviously I'm not lifting, able to lift as heavy during that period. Mm. I'm not saying I'm weaker, but moving the iron, uh, is associated with also your body mass. And based on our, our, uh, little, uh, conversation beforehand, I know that you're aware of this, right? Uh, having been, uh, uh, quite a bit heavier in your past as well. Yeah. But if you do like single joint movements or isolation stuff that you're familiar with, you'll like, oh, no, actually, everything's just as strong. I can't squat as much, though. Yeah. Like these really base movements where you're able to throw your mass into it. But it doesn't mean you're weaker. And so but people don't like to have that sensation. Uh, so uh, that's a little unusual. But it worked. It worked phenomenal. Like I said, I as I was really, really happy with my body composition during the course of it as mo much as I could be. I still look at my look at myself in the mirror with poofy cheeks and and uh, other stuff. I'm like, oh man, I'm just. I'm sorry to language, but God, I feel like a fat fuck right now. <laughs> 
it's um that's a whole other conversation we can have it's the mental yeah the mental side of that is a you got to be prepared for because if you've never been there it is it, it plays with it plays with your head something fierce because i wholeheartedly like i know i'm gonna go i'm gonna get as fat as possible i'm gonna get to 300 pounds i gotta deal with it and then as soon as i start eating and bulking you go i need to stop like this is i don't like this yeah, i don't i yeah. don't feel good i don't look good and everything tells you every day you're like i i don't want to do this anymore should i have that extra ice cream should i have <laughs> should i be dumping that extra olive oil on my sandwich and and you're like i I decided to do this and I knew what it was going to be and I committed to it and here I am immediately second guessing myself. And man, that's, that's a huge part of the discipline and you know, you probably experienced this as well where obviously we all have different goals along our journey in terms of our, uh, in terms of our human performance journey, you know? So when we shred down and get lean and you get people going, God, you look great. Jeez, you got real lean. And, and then when we start bulking up again, you'll get that person going, Jeez, you're getting a bit fat. <laughs> you're getting a bit fat since I last. And then you're in your head going, fucking. And you know it's part of the plan, but you're like, oh my God. And that's in your head then. You're like, shit, I am getting a bit. Poor. And then like, even though you're like, you knew this has to be, this has to be part of the process. Yeah. You're going to shred back down. Like it's going to be. And you notice yourself. There's a logical brain arguing with the emotional oh, like response to it. That's just 100% it. Yeah. Like th there's days you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, where are my abs gone? And like, literally, it's just because you you drank a ton of water like that day or like literally if you just like you could literally look at yourself two hours later and go oh i'm shredded again do you yeah, know what, you know yeah. what i mean it's oh just, i know yeah it's just a complete yeah. and you notice in your head as you said like the rational voice is like listen you notice you studied the science you understand human metabolism and, and yet like you're letting your emotional brain like rule the roost here well that is a huge part of the of the discipline obviously is obviously eating and putting the weight on so, Chris, I really do want you to touch on your book because, I mean, that's one of the main reasons we we, um, we got in contact with one another. And also, before we wrap up, I, I would love you to give the listeners a little bit more about you and your background and probably will tie into why you wrote the book and, and the meaning and purpose of the book. So for the next 20 minutes, I just want you to take that away. Give us a little more about your life journey, your background. Yeah. Um, and by the way, just, you know, is you are from Oregon originally, are you? Uh, Northern California, and then yeah, I've been in Oregon since the '80s. For whatever reason, I've been to Seattle twice, but I love the Northwest, America. Northwest is pretty bomb, yeah, yeah. I really do want to go to Oregon, but anyway, the floor is yours, my man. Take it away. Or Oregon crushes uh, Washington by far, by the way. So we've got a lot more. <laughs> I think that is an invitation. So, it is. <laughs> so yeah i uh i wrote a book it's it's my life story it's an autobiography but it's a lot more than that so it's a bestseller in um several different categories uh some of those being self-improvement and philosophy and you'll understand as i start talking about the, the book why that is uh, because it's it's really not written to express my story it's written to share uh, what i've learned through my life introspection and philosophies that will allow you to see uh, incredible success, um, both with business, uh, family, uh, athletics, whatever it may be. And my life has been different than most. So in the fact that I've had an incredible scope uh, during the course of my life that most people haven't seen. I'm not going to say it's worse or any of this, but uh, uh, usually this story people find quite surprising. And uh, started in Northern California. 
and I grew up, I grew up homeless in the mountains. And we're talking, you, you know, you hear people today say, oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm poor, but they've got their gaming station and their smartphone and nice clothes. And I grew up, let's see, well, the, the book starts off with me at six years old, uh, first chapter. And I'm sitting there in the mountains and we've got, I've got a brother, a sister, they're all younger and another sister that was just, just, uh, just born. And we're living with no transportation. We're by a little stream and we've got beams lashed to the trees so that we could have our, our, our sleeping bags up off the ground. So basically we're living in makeshift tree forts because there's rattlesnake dens all around us. And I'm being taught at the time how to catch handle and kill live rattlesnakes at six years old. And, you know, so imagine that six years old with a live rattlesnake in your hand, staring you in the face, hissing at you, flicking its tongue with its arms, you know, with its body wrapped around your arm. And so every, and I tell that story just to want to highlight like the environment that I lived in but also like what I was learning through introspection and things at the time, like this is really early encounters with learning about fear and how I can, how, you know, the implications of it and how to handle it. Um, because in that, in this instance, for example, like if I'm not able to manage my fear, I die. If I'm, if I, if I don't pay attention to fear at all and I'm reckless, I die but to be able to use now this fear to go, okay, this is a dangerous thing. And if I have a certain set of steps that I can walk through and I can manage that, I can mitigate that fear and be in control while still having those emotions and things going on. Um, now the, the whole rest of, you know, the, you know, my younger years were all in this Northern California. We bounced around uh, to different areas and yeah, I dealt with, you know, I knew murderers, I dealt with murderers, I, there was drugs, drug abuse, drug running going on. Um, there was even, uh, there was even a serial killer that uh, was stalking our, our family, uh, which comes into, into play in many uh, later chapters in the book when he came back in the early 2000s when he got out of prison uh, to uh, try to track down and kill my mother again. I killed or other women in the process. Um, and um, yeah, it's a pretty fucked up livelihood. Uh, you know, we're talking like filling up gallon jugs of water in the stream and setting them on a rock during the day so that they warm up so you can pour them over your head and, and bathe yourself. You know, in school years, we typically find something close to a town or during the school portion of the year during the summer, we were full camp, full camp mode out in the wild. Um, oftentimes it was maybe a condemned home or something that just <laughs> shouldn't be suitable and livable. Um, and, uh, a lot of learning how to forage for food, kill animals. That was, that was my livelihood school, not an enjoyable experience for me because I had dirty clothes with my shoes, you know, my, my toes maybe sticking out of the side of my shoes. And, uh, you know, over the course of that, like I, there was, there's a lot of things that, that, that happened. 
and uh, I had friends die around me, family, um, and it it was uh, I, I learned a lot in the process, and there's a lot more obviously in the book, and I share share that as it goes on, and uh, so anyway, ended up in uh, the state took us for a while. Uh, parents ended up getting us back, and we moved to Oregon. And they in Oregon they settled down to uh, to not doing illegal activities uh, anymore to make sure that uh, the kids weren't taken uh, by the state again, uh, but quickly reverted back to the same lifestyle. My mom was very intelligent person. Uh, she had a she was you know on scholarship to be a chemical engineer. My father was a member of Mensa. Uh, really well read. I mean, we, that's what we did. We didn't really have TV. So it was, you know, occasional trips to the library where we'd take out just stacks of everything and just be reading every night by candlelight or, or flashlight. That was, that was our, that was our thing. So uh, we certainly weren't lacking in, uh, uh, you know, that side of things, uh, which is kind of counter to where a lot of people would think that you would, uh, that you would be, um, but, uh, really a lot of respect for intellectualism, uh, within the family, uh, push for hard work, but just not wanting to be a part of society. My mother was very determined to find her way in this world and not be part of the society that we know. And, and she's still, still there, uh, <laughs> doing her thing. She lives far out Eastern Oregon in a small community. I think the entire County that she lives in has less than a thousand people. Uh, she works a mining claim uh, that she owns and does that sort of stuff. So uh, she uh, she lives her life. But uh, end up in uh, Oregon, uh, kind of again fell back into uh, uh, living in the mountains. And finally, by my my time in high school, my stepfather he uh, secured a uh, uh, he was able to get back pay on a disability claim. He had a broken arm for like twenty years and. Uh, that's a whole nother story, but running chase saws and working mines and doing stuff like that with a broken arm is kind of challenging. And he did it. Uh, it was literally wore a gap in his arm. That was like a, like an inch or so between, <laughs> between the bones rubbing each other. Um, but he got some back pain. We bought a, uh, uh, made a down payment on a mobile home. Sounds, sounds probably nicer than it was. Uh, there was no doors between anything in there. There was no kitchen. We had to throw together some two by fours to hold up a sink. Uh, wind would blow straight through the windows, uh, but it had running water, it had electricity, and it provided stability for me through my high school years. Uh, and in high school, I excelled at athletics. I excelled at academics. I was valedictorian, state-level athlete, all that good stuff, and uh, ended up getting a full-ride academic scholarship to go to college for engineering, uh, which, I, which I did. A couple years into college, I, the first two years, I didn't contact my family much because every time I call home, I'd have to send them money. And I was working full-time and going to school full-time. Well, maybe not full-time on the school part because uh, I was pretty good at academics and found I didn't really need to do much besides show up for tests uh, at the uh, end of the term. But um, so I took advantage of that because I had a life to make for myself. And uh, so I was able to start working and uh, doing my own thing, which ended up being advantageous uh, because when I finally did uh, reach home, it was my mother had had a mental breakdown and disappeared to Montana. 
my stepfather had continued his mental decline uh, and was fully batshit crazy. And my three sisters were homeless. And uh, I ended up uh, taking custody of them one at a time and raising them while I went through uh, my engineering. Um, finished that, I was working again, already in the industry. 21 years old, I own my own house. I was running, uh, I own my own business that I was running on the weekends and working full time uh, as a uh, management uh, in the uh, manufacturing sector already. And still working on school where I was, uh, I was, uh, it sounds really braggy. Um, I should cut down the bragginess, but uh, I, I was president of the engineering society and just doing pretty well. I had the highest graduating engineering GPA, uh, which uh, surprised a lot of people because I was actually known for part, like I took advantage. I had my life to live. Like I said, I work full time and I played hard as well. Um, uh, and, uh, but uh, raised my three sisters while doing that and uh, moving to the, the largest metro uh, or really only metro community in Oregon, uh, which is Portland to pursue my MBA and continue to advance my career. And uh, got all them started and directed in their life. Uh, and, uh, and that was, uh, that was a, I guess a good thing. Uh, a lot of people commend me for that. I just think it's one of those things. What, what would you do in the situation? Like that's, I think is just the right thing. And there's not really a lot of choice in it, uh, but to step up to the plate and do it and, uh, end up doing really well in my career. So I learned a lot on the leadership front. I uh, found that I was really well, good at uh, inspiring people, challenging them, growing people, and uh, ended up advancing to the executive level uh, fairly quickly, where I, and then being sought after to come in and do turnarounds for companies, uh, entire companies, divisions of companies, growing companies, um, you know, from a regional to a national or international presence. Um, so I did that for almost 20 years. And in the course of that, oh, yeah, I lifted weights. Started lifting weights in 1988 because I was a nerd. And, uh, and uh, I, I wanted to kind of balance that out. I was obviously very physical growing up because we grew up in the mountains. I was chopping wood, digging rocks in the mine, doing all that sort of stuff. So I took to athletics pretty, pretty quickly and uh, did really well. Uh, and so over the course of my executive career, I also owned a gym uh, with my business partner. Uh, and it was solely because I wanted to be the best in the world. And I knew that to do that, I needed to do the same things that I'd done elsewhere in my life, which is have the right methods, have the right environment and people around you. And so I created that so that I could become the best in the world, whatever you call that. And uh, so uh, ended up growing to a 9,000 square foot uh, training facility that I had on the side while I was like running an aerospace company and turning it around. And so I had a pretty full life. I was married uh, with a house with a white picket fence and two children. And I started asking myself, well, Chris, you've done what you set out to do, which was prove to the world that you could be a successful individual and live the American dream. And I went, well, whose dream is this? Because it feels amiss to me. I feel that there's more. I feel that I should be doing more. And so I walked away 
from everything in my life except for my children. I quit my job as a corporate executive. I launched Kabuki Strength as the first of the, my companies in the fitness world. I reevaluated my relationship with my, my wife and some of my, some of my friends and people that I interacted with. Um, I quit and retired from powerlifting. And uh, I decided that I was going to try to impact the world and change the face of strength training and teach people how to get out of pain and live life to its fullest through embracing strength, to embracing challenge in your life and allowing it to become, make you more resilient, to be able to chase the things that you have the potential of adding to the world and going at it full force. So I came out of that uh, with uh, Kabuki Strength, which we work with in the last, which started five years ago. We work with every professional sport in North America uh, and others all around the globe. <laughs> uh, uh, hockey, Tour de France, uh, uh, professional soccer. Um, actually, I guess those uh, soccer and hockey are in the U.S. too. We work with uh, uh, Stanley Cup uh, winning teams and whatnot. We're just getting into those sports though. 75% of Major League Baseball we work with in either education uh, uh, or, or equipment. And so pretty, pretty cool stuff to do in that short period of time. Um, we lecture in physical therapy and chiropractic uh, uh, schools uh, and, uh, you know, very large prestigious uh, rehabilitation things like uh, uh, Swiss uh, Society for Weightlifting Injury Prevention and Sports. Um, uh, God, the list goes on and on. Um, and uh, our equipment and methodology are used in elite uh, uh, clinical uh, rehabilitation facilities uh, all over the place. Um, our soft tissue tools, our movement principles. And uh, so really, really, this is what I want to do in the world. Um, I'm remarried with a third child with the love of my life. I, um, <clears throat> and uh, I've done some pretty phenomenal things with having retired from uh, strength sports. Um, I've continued to use that as a, uh, you know, my lifting as a platform for the things that I talked about. Um, the only person in history to have squatted and deadlifted a thousand pounds for reps. I've done things like squatting 800 pounds every single day for 30 days straight. Deadlifting 400 kilo, 881 pounds every single day for 17 days straight. Detached a hamstring at the end of that, so wasn't able to finish the 30. Uh, you know, little things. But uh, there's a few others in there. I, I can't. Uh, I, I, I can't remember. But uh, uh, that's uh, uh, that's that's my life. And um, I this last year, I spent a year less time again uh, at work because I, I gotten things to the point where it's very self-sustaining to be able to write my book, The Eagle and the Dragon, where I share the philosophies and principles uh, that I've learned and used in these avenues of my life for introspection. I do not tell you in the book how to live your life, what your priorities are, or anything like that. It's very specific in the way that it drives you to ask these deeper questions and evaluate and then be able to, once you've established these values and what you want out of life, work towards developing goals that align with that 
and then execute those goals to live that life that you want. Um, for me, I'm not like rich in the, the, in, in a wealth manner as far as money, but I'm rich in life. I live and do everything that I want and, and enact or, or have, uh, have an impact on the world in the way that I want. And I'm able to, which is my highest priority for me, show my children through my, through my actions, not just what I say or what I write, that they too can create the world around them. They can build and create their own life in the way, in the form that they desire. And uh, there's no better way. And, you know, they're too, too young yet to, uh, my, my oldest of my three is, uh, is 11, uh, turning 12 this year, to really see all of that just yet. But I know that they will. Um, they, they're involved in everything. They, they come to work with me, especially in these times <laughs> uh, right now. Um, and, uh, and, and they're, they're a part of this. And, uh, a big piece of this is for me to show them, um, that they can do just that to create the world around them, um, through their ambitions, their desires and how they, how they interact with it. So Chris, where can people pick up this book? Pretty much anywhere. So uh, Amazon's probably the easiest uh, source, and you can get uh, uh, that in uh, ebook, a paperback, uh, hardcover. Uh, if you want a signed hardcover, you can order it from Kabuki Strength, and we ship worldwide. Uh, it's on Audible as well. If you uh, love audiobooks, there's a lot of people who really like in the uh, audio. If you go to my main site, Christopher Duffin, so that's just a site where I've got links to my different businesses, but I have a link. Uh, if you haven't used Audible before, uh, if you sign up through my link, you'll get my book for free and one other book for free. So, um, so it's a, it's a pretty cool deal they have set up and, um, but you can get it on Barnes and Noble as well. Um, and probably some other uh, retailers. It's not in a lot of the, a lot of the bookstores yet. Uh, we are in Powell's books, which is the largest independent bookstore in the world based out of Portland. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, check out the reviews. You know, it's, it's been a life-changing book for many. And that sounds like a, an over-the-top statement. Um, but uh, it, it, is, it has really empowered a lot of people uh, to, to take action in their life or to overcome, uh, you know, mental health issues uh, or other obstacles uh, in their life, which is uh, I address because um, those are those are really important things. So this is, this book is really a passion project for me because my businesses are focused around the physical aspect of strength, which we all know, go into the, go into the gym and lifting weights is going to make you stronger, more resilient. So our ability to adapt to stress is a good thing. It creates a stronger and better and more resilient version of ourself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people miss that connection with the rest of their life. And so this book addresses the mental, emotional, or maybe even spiritual aspects of being able to accept that challenge and stress in life may not necessarily be a bad thing. And in fact, if we reach a, a place of complacency, we are doing ourselves a disservice. It's just like quitting going to the gym. What happens? You get soft. The process of atrophy starts, which is 
the beginning of the process of leading towards death. Yeah, that's a freaking big statement, but it's reality. Okay. The same thing happens elsewhere in our life. And so uh, it's a great message, particularly in these times right now to, you know, be able to take control and take action on the things that we have control over and also to be able to look at these things and how do I become better, stronger, more resilient and uh, push yourself to, to do that. It's, uh, it's just like training though. You can't do a CrossFit workout for seven hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, you've got to have that balance of allowing the time for being able to uh, <laughs> build and become stronger, recover from those, recover from those stresses. But it can't be too long between stress or again, um, you know, the downward spiral begins. Chris, this has been a fantastic conversation and I'll link up everything in the show notes to all your work and uh, website, the charities you spoke about, and obviously to, to your, to your recently published book, the Eagle and the Dragon. So, um, is there anything else you'd like to part before we wrap up the show? Um, you know, follow us on social media. We produce a lot of daily content on, uh, how to move better, um, how to fix and address issues or understand issues with your body. Uh, that's, uh, on one of our sub accounts on uh, Instagram, uh, Kabuki underscore virtual coaching. That'd be a great one to link. Mm. Um, you can find the links to, to all the, the companies on my main website, uh, ChristopherDuffin.com. Um, but, uh, the company's Kabuki strength. We make biomanic biomechanically sound, uh, specialty, uh, uh, lifting equipment, uh, soft tissue tools. And these are used by basically all the top teams and colleges out there uh, for their athletes. So maybe you want to check it out. Uh, it's what I use to develop and do the phenomenal things that I do. Um, my supplement line is, uh, continues to grow. These are things that I put in place uh, that I've used through the, through the years with it's really sound. Um, everything is full disclosure labels manufactured in NSF uh, uh, safe facilities or certified facilities. So really, about doing things right. Um, you know, formulations that are done in the research-backed uh, uh, dosages. So build fast formula. I'm a huge proponent of some of the, so my, uh, my philosophy on movement starts um, basically with uh, torso stabilization and being able to manage uh, those mechanics. Second highest priority is the foot. And most people are not using or strengthening the foot. So there's lots of issues that develop through the body. Barefoot athletics, uh, we make uh, basically uh, barefoot style shoes that are great for lifting, but also great for life. But they are the only ones specifically designed for lifters that have a, uh, a wider toe box that allow that spread when you're under load and be able to start strengthening and developing the foot appropriately with also incredible sheer gripping force. Um, and uh, they... They, they actually look pretty good too. So uh, you can wear them uh, all around uh, if, you, if you so choose, and I'd highly encourage you to do that. Um, but if you're not familiar with the barefoot uh, style uh, uh, shoes, it's something that you want to slowly develop into just like strength training. This is kind of missed uh, on the educational gap, and I'll just cover it really quick. You don't just walk into the gym and you know squats are good, so you squat 500 pounds. It doesn't work that way. So you want to start with something light. So in this instance, you would start with maybe wearing the shoe 10% of your time. 
and then advancing, you know, uh, every, every few weeks or months uh, to be able to acclimate to that because guess what? Your foot has been bound up and you haven't been using it and it will get sore and you need to have stress and take the time to adapt. Great stuff. Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. And um, I would definitely love to have you back on at another time in the future because there's so much more we could we could talk about, you know, more stuff around training and even just more about just personal development too. So I really do appreciate it. And I'll make sure to link up everything in the show notes. Um, so guys, make sure you head over to Kabuki Strength and everything Chris has going. I'll put all links into the show notes, social media, website, and obviously a link to his new um book he has out so um if you want to interact with me um uh instagram and linkedin are going to be the two mediums that i that i actually uh, respond and interact on um facebook i don't deal with anymore and i I have other accounts like tiktok and other crap but uh, i don't really do anything with them (laughs) fuck you zuckerberg (laughs) all right chris we appreciate it and for all the people listening take care and until next time stay strong